All right. Hello, everybody. Let us see if this is working. It appears to be. This is, uh, hi, welcome to Critical Q&A, number 429. Let me go ahead and mute that over there since it looks like our sound is working. I have changed everything behind the scenes right now. And um, so I'm a little nervous this morning. Here we go. Comments coming in. And okay, yes, foggy beaches near Big Blue. Okay, excellent. So looks like we have a comment stream going. Let's go ahead and switch over to the screen where we have our comments show up on the screen there, uh, which should hopefully start appearing shortly. Um, okay, just look at, there we go. Okay, so that's filling up, and it looks like we are... Excellent. Okay, I'm just uh, a little nervous this morning because I've got a new PC here on this desk that is not my usual PC. And if you've been keeping up with me lately, I've been making some studio changes and upgrades and with your help. And um, and it's been awesome. Some of you have been uh, contributing some uh, equipment that I have requested or asked for on an Amazon wish list called my Ideal Studio wish list. And um, and I haven't even gotten half of it yet, and I'm already upgrading stuff here. And I got this uh, get this PC set up, and so now I am streaming. The stream is controlled all from here, and uh, this is a big change for me because it was controlled by this computer that was over there. This is all kind of behind the scenes stuff. Some of you probably don't care, but it's just. Um, gives me more control over here, but this is the first time I'm doing it. I did a couple tests this morning, and I'm still sorting stuff out, but so far it seems like it's uh, all good. Now, this is a Q&A show, so let's go ahead and start a Q&A. Um, I will, like I did the last time, put your questions here under this comment. Um, so I can see them. Okay, good. Um, all right, let's go ahead and get that started. So now I've posted a Q&A comment, and I am only seeing on my screen here in front of me your questions under my comment where I posted, put your questions here under this comment so I can see them. So uh, for the questions you're going to ask me during the show, Put them there under that statement, and then they will, here we go, like Young Matador just did, and then I will be able to see them and address them. There we go. Um, doesn't your new monitor let your book be? <laughs> yes. Um, here, let's put, the, let's put my book here. Uh, let's see if that will, will stick up here. All right, let's see if that. We'll see if that holds up there. Uh, oh, nope. Okay, I'm going to have to get a book stand here. I'm going to have to do like a formal thing, I think. I am so unprepared for some things. You think about, you think about all this stuff. That's probably going to fall again. But you think about all this stuff, and then, um, and then live comes, and you're like, oh, yeah, that, that, that. Anyway, yeah, good. 
Okay, good. Yes, I'm seeing your questions coming in here. Excellent. So, you know what? Let's just go ahead and start getting to it. I see we're getting um, some kind of super chat action as well, which is awesome. Those, um, I don't show up in this Q&A box. And so, um, I will see. uh, Anyway, thank you very much for your support and your super chats, guys. Um, But the super chat questions you ask, they have to be under this thing or I won't see them. I'm not sure about the the back and forth of that, but that's kind of how this stuff works uh, at this time at least. Let me go ahead and get something else up on the screen for myself so I can see sort of the uh, live chat as it's happening here. Oh, there it is. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for that super chat. Now I see that. Okay, good. Um, good. So let's get back over to the questions and let's start answering some. Um, so, <laughs> ah, okay. I'm going to try to relax now that this is all working. I was getting some crazy sound echoing before and I was really freaking out about it, but it looks like it was a monitor audio thing and it's not part. Anyway. I'm very glad that's not an issue now. Um, So, did you ever, Young Matador asks, uh, let's see if I can throw this up on the, um, there it is, excellent, good. Did you ever attend the IAS event in Grinstead? Uh, No, I have never been to East Grinstead. I've only been to England once or twice, technically, flying through. I I, uh, had a layover or, you know, a stay at... um, Gatsbury uh, or whatever the not Heathrow but the other one (laughs) Um, that's the only time I've ever been to England uh, and had my feet on the ground of that country so I have not been to um, to East Grinstead I would like to go at some point I think it would be an interesting uh, ex-Scientology pilgrimage (laughs) to make (laughs) Um, but I have not I have not been there um okay let's carry on here um doesn't yes 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 liz d okay here's a great question liz d asks what makes a class five org class five are there class one two three four orgs okay great question so the way that the orgs in scientology are classified is according to what they can train. Um, Now, this has all sort of been thrown for a loop in the last 20 years. But the system for the hierarchy of Scientology organizations is based on what class of auditor that organization can create. And it it was built this way to emphasize that Scientology is about making auditors and auditors then go out and do the auditing. But you can't have any auditing happening if there are no auditors. And, it's, and auditors are the Scientology practitioners. They're the ones who are actually delivering the goods of Scientology. And I'll call them bads because they're not really goods. Uh, you know, there you go. Is your play on my dad joke for this morning. But... Um, But that's how they are classified because Hubbard stressed making 
auditors. That was the entire point of Scientology organizations was to get in public, um, you know, to, to get in public and sell them materials and deliver Scientology services to them. Um, this is the um, this is the only reason orgs exist, right? Is to um, is to make auditors and make clears, and so the classification system for orgs was built around how high can they train an auditor, because the auditors in Scientology are on a classification system. The lowest level auditor is not even a classified auditor. They're book one auditors. They read Dianetics and they learn how to audit Dianetics book one style, 1950 style, with each other. And that's not even using an e-meter. It's just the very basic Dianetics auditing. And that does not have a class connected with it. That's just called a book one auditor. And any mission, any Scientology group anywhere can create that level of auditor. All you got to do is read Dianetics and talk about it or do a little seminar or workshop on it, and you can start auditing Dianetics, right? So that's your lowest level of Scientology or Dianetics auditor. But when you start talking about classification and the classified levels of auditor, you're talking about what are called the professional auditor training levels or the 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 academy the the full levels right these are um uh class zero class one class two and you go start at class zero and you go on up the levels of scientology auditor training and it used to be that the current class five orgs were classified as class four orgs because they made class four auditors they could train students on class zero and one and two and three and four and that was as high as they could go so they were called class four orgs um that's changed and now they are called class five orgs because they can deliver auditor training up to the level of class five which is a new era dianetics auditor now i'm throwing a lot of terminology around here i'm trying to keep it simple i'm not getting into all of the specifics of what each of these levels delivers there's a whole video i did by the way that breaks all this down it's it breaks down every single step of the uh bridge the whole chart and the auditor training is on that chart it's the left-hand column. You go up the auditing side and you go up the training side. You're supposed to do both in Scientology. So um, so the class four orgs, now they're called class five orgs. And that's as far as they go. It's class five. The St. Hill organizations are the first level of Sea Org orgs. They're manned and run by Sea Org members on Sea Org bases. And those are class six organizations they deliver or they used to deliver this is where everything got screwy but up to 20 years ago they were delivering the saint hill special briefing course the biggest most expansive course that exists in scientology it's called the saint hill special briefing course it takes a year full time to get through that course and it's only offered at the saint hill level organizations the Class Six organizations, or the Saint Hills. There's a Saint Hill in L.A. It's called ASHO, the American Saint Hill Organization. There's a Saint Hill, obviously, in Saint Hill, East Grinstead. The manor, the that property, that organization, um, is a Saint Hill organization. 
that's part of the property there. There's also the next level organization up, which is a class eight organization. That's an advanced organization. They deliver up through OT5 on the auditing side, but they also deliver up to the class eight course, which is the highest level that a public level Scientologist or a staff member can go is class eight. And that's a higher level of auditor training that is supposed to be perfection itself. You're supposed to be like the perfect auditor at class eight. Class nine is an auditor who can deliver OT5. And that's only delivered to Sea Org members. Only Sea Org members can train on that class so that they can deliver OT5. No, no public person and no staff member uh, can do that class. So class nine organizations would be like AOLA, the Advanced Organ LA. That I said that they're class eight organizations, but actually, you know, it's class nine because they can make class nine auditors. Anyway, and then you have class 10, 11, and 12 which are flag only. That's the flag service organization in Clearwater, Florida. That is a class 12 organization. So they go class 5, class 6, class 8, and class 12. That's the levels of Scientology organizations Uh, because there are no orgs that only specialize in delivering up to class one or class two or class three. They go all the way up to five, right? Anyway, that's how that works. I know it's a lot of, uh, it would be a lot easier to show if I had some diagrams. Gatwick, that's what it's called, yeah. Um, But that's the uh, classification system for Scientology churches or organizations, and there is only one class 12 organization, and that's FLAG, and they're the best of the best of the best in everything, and that's why they're called a class 12 organization. This is really, by the way, kind of Scientology minutia as a question, and that's not a hit at you for asking, Liz. I just mean it's pretty deep. Even normal public Scientologists don't talk about organizations or churches this way. They just talk about going down to the local org or going to FLAG or going to ASHO. They call them by name rather than by classification level. But that's how that works. I hope that was clear. Um, Okay, let's carry on here. Um, Okay, now remember, Anthony, to get those questions into the chat area or into the question box or otherwise I won't see them. Uh, as easily. Okay, so the villain asks here a related question. Um, Let me see if I can pull this up. Oops, sorry. Come on back. All right, there we go. I do have a question. I learned ASHO doesn't do SHSBC anymore. Yes, exactly. But that was its whole reason, Deitre, distinguishing it from a class five, that and the don't talk about my case fashion statements. Yeah, yeah. uh, This is Miscavige is doing. Um, Let me get a drink here. So, um, about 10 years ago, something like that, nine, eight or nine years ago, something, Miscavige changed the structure and layout of the American St. Hill organization uh, and the PAC base. 
He converted LA Org to a Sea Org Org. Now it's manned by Sea Org members, even though it's a Class 5 organization, which is supposed to be five-year contracted staff members, pub, you know, regular staff. It's now Sea Org. Um, then um, he converted ASHO into one organization. It had been two different organizations operating in the same building. It had been ASHO day for the day hours, Monday through Friday, uh, 9 to 5 or 9 to 6, and the ASHO Foundation, which was nights and weekends. He combined those. Um, This is exactly contrary to, just as an example, I'm not saying that Hubbard had it right and Miscavige changed it to make it worse, but I'm saying Miscavige changed it in a way that L. Ron Hubbard would cut his goddamn balls off. He would be furious with Miscavige for just this one thing that Miscavige ordered changed. And this was 100% Miscavige. Nobody else could get away with this. He made it so that it is one combined organization, the American St. Hill organization. And he basically canceled, without canceling it, He said the St. Hill Special Briefing course delivery is on hold while the course is being revised. And that's been going on for 10 years now, or just about. So nobody has been able to do that Class 6 St. Hill Special Briefing course course in all this time. Miscavige shut down L. Ron Hubbard's pride and joy. The St. Hill Special Briefing Course. L. Ron Hubbard spent six years from 1960 to 1966 delivering that course. It's a, it, it consists of over 400 lectures that L. Ron Hubbard gave over that six-year period, plus all the books, a bunch of other lectures, a ton of all the auditing material, all of the red volumes, all of it is covered in this course. You read everything, you listen to everything. And this was the heart and soul of Scientology, this course. This was the place where you went to learn the entire chronological development of Scientology from beginning to end. And everything Hubbard had to impart and teach that was, that he thought was important other than the OT levels, which are not covered in that class, everything up to the OT levels, every method of clearing, every method of case auditing, every method of case repair, it's pretty much all on the Class 6 course. There's a few other things that come with Class 8, but that's but most of it is on the Class 6 course. And Miscavige doesn't give a shit about auditors. He doesn't care about making auditors. And Hubbard said that the only way that Scientology is going to continue and survive is by making auditors. And he's right, because auditors are the carriers of the Scientology messaging. They are the ones who actually deliver the Scientology manipulation, the services, the things that actually mess with you psychically, psychologically, and will, and will um, cause you to go into those deep euphoric states that we talk about, that's auditing. And nothing else in Scientology holds a candle to the power of what auditing is going to do to you. So, you know, you can read the books, you can listen to the lectures, you can go to the events, you can be regged, you can be RPF'd, you can have all this different stuff happen to you in Scientology. 
that is manipulative, that is coercive, that is, that is even psychologically damaging, that is uh, indoctrinating, that will mess with you. But none of that, if, you, if all of that is like this much compared to what auditing does to you, auditing is where it's at. And so Miscavige, this is why I've been saying for years, Miscavige has basically gutted Scientology by not emphasizing auditor training and, and making new auditors and getting auditing happening. That's where all the magic of Scientology is, right? That's where the real manipulation happens. So it's, so it's fascinating to me, it's absolutely fascinating to me that Miscavige is in charge of this multi-billion dollar, you know, mind control operation, and he doesn't himself actually seem to understand what it is about his con that actually works. You know, even if he's a believer, as Mitch Brisker says, and as I've gone over, right, even if he's a true believer in the subject and he thinks it's really the shit and Scientology is where it's at, he's running it right off a cliff because of this one point. It's, re- it's really quite an important point. I can't stress it enough. Um, so, anyway, and that's one of the reasons why Miscavige is hastening the decline of Scientology. If he was really focused, like laser focused on the things Hubbard was laser focused on before he went crazy, I'm talking about 1960s Hubbard, right? 1950s and 60s Hubbard is when Hubbard kind of had his head on a little more rationally. I'm not saying that he was a saint or a good guy or he was doing good work. I'm saying the exact opposite. I'm saying when he was his most crafty and his most effective and his most coercive is during the 50s and 60s when he was formulating and building Scientology. And he's the one who said and realized you have to make the auditors. You got it, right? And if you don't, this thing isn't going to work. And he was right. And it's not working, and that's one of the reasons why. It's really quite, it's, it's such an interesting thing. Anyway, um, so the villain, there's your answer to that question. I hope that, um, hope that made some sense here. Let's see what else we've got. Um, okay, Xion asked me a question here about my news show this week. What similarities do you see between the Socorro cult and Scientology? Um, I reported this week on my CCN Critical Cult News show. I hope you guys are checking that out. It's on, it posts on Thursday. Um, I did a report about a cult operating in Manila in the Philippines, um, or at least being investigated in Manila, but it's operating out of a place called Socorro Town. And this is over in the Philippines. And this is um, a cult that has been um, basically this 22-year-old kid really this guy has sort of taken over and morphed this social group into a cult and there's a lot of kids involved and there's guns involved and there's child marriages and sex abuse and it's a really really decadent disgusting story um so um what what similarities do i see well um cult similarities really i mean my first answer is kind of you know dogmatically not a lot you know, this, this is a Christian-based cult uh, in Socorro. The, the, the baby, the, the leader is uh, can, called uh, Santo Nino, uh, Baby Jesus. 
Um, he's considered Jesus reincarnate, right? And then so there's a whole Christian mythology and the threats are all around. You're going to go to hell, like for real. Like if you don't have sex with this adult man, you know, a 12-year-old girl, you're going to go to hell and so is your whole family and all this, right? That's the threat. And of course, they have guns. Um, so it's a very kind of paramilitary operation. It's pretty, um, and it's pretty built up around this guy, right? This, this dude, the Santo Nino guy or uh, Senor Algante or something. Um, okay. So we have all the same cult structures there, cult leader, cult personality gone wild, right? Um, but otherwise, I don't know. I'm not really seeing a lot of similarities. They don't have an auditing process or procedure. He's not really that good at coercive control. He's really good at uh, militant control and at resource control because this is a disaster area. This, is, this was a place that was uh, apparently uh, ravaged by earthquakes a few years ago. They're still rebuilding. They're still figuring things out. You know, water wasn't available. This was one of the ways that this cult leader rose to power is, oops, there it went. And I'm not going to go down and pick it up right now. So, sorry, guys. I will definitely get a little book stand, though, because that's, that's something I need to keep up here. Okay, now, um, he, yeah, he was using and sort of, it was sort of an opportunistic cult creation based on the natural disasters that happened there, right? So, um, so it's kind of hard for me to see a lot of similarities other than structural authoritarian framework similarities, right, in terms of methods of control. But I'm not super familiar yet uh, with the exposure that I had to this reporting. There were about four or five stories that I read about it. I didn't get super detailed layouts of, of his coercive management or control, right, what he was doing. So that's about all I can really say is I, I'm sorry it's a bit of a perfunctory answer, but that's... Um, those are the, that's, that's what I can tell you about it right now, at least. Okay. Um, now, here's an interesting question that nobody has ever asked me before. Let me think about this one. Um, hi, Chris. Just a general question. Um, pull that back up there. Where did it go? Do you think if you'd encountered Scientology as an adult, you would have taken an interest in it? Let me think about that for a second. I don't think so. If I hadn't grown up with it, of course, my life would have been incredibly different. So I'm trying to think of answering this question as though I had no exposure to Scientology growing up, right? Because as a second gen, I was primed for Scientology. I was all set up so that when I went into the church when I was 15, I was like, show me what you got, right? And they did, and I was, I was an easy mark. I was very, very easy to get um, because my parents were so involved, and I had been around it for so many years and understood some of the basic principles already. If I'd walked in there cold, I'm trying to think of what I would have been like, and I would have been very different. And I don't know that it really would have had a lot of appeal for me you know, um, yeah, I was a really kind of cocksure kid. I was very self-confident. I was very, I mean, I don't think I was egotistical any more than any other teenager 
was, but I was very, you know, kind of cocky a little bit and in, t- and in, a le- in an intellectual way, not in a physical way. I was very not that way physically. I didn't get into fights. I wasn't, you know, into, into my physicality as a teenager. I was into my brains and, and reading and learning and, you know, sort of domination through intellectuality, right? I could outsmart you rather than outgun you or outbeat you. And, um, and so I think I would have sort of prided myself on seeing through Scientology if I'd approached it, you know, in that way um, as a teen or as a young or as an adult. Yeah, I don't think I would have fallen for it, actually. You know, just me as myself. I just don't think I would have. But, but the entire circumstances of my life were were contriving to make me fall for it. And I did. And so... Um, yeah, good question. It's a, it's a thought-provoking one, as you can see. Um, okay, let's carry on here. Um, Xion asks, are you happy with the new, um, with how the new format of your Critical Cult News on Thursdays turned out? No, not yet. Not at all. I, am, uh, I very much have uh, more schemes and plans for that show, and I want to bring in video I want to bring in more imagery. I want to do more visually with that show. Right now, I just sort of throw some pictures up and then monologue about the story, and I'd like to have a bit more AV um, going with that. And that's one of the one of the drivers for me getting more control here is so I can do more with that show, uh, as well as maybe my other live streams as well. So, um, yeah. So that's. You know, that's my answer on that one. Uh, never, I'm, I, just so you guys know, I'm, I don't know that I'm ever happy with my content <laughs> or the format of it or the layout. You know, my critical Q&A shows, these shows have been the most consistent and the Sensibly Speaking podcasts have pretty much just been podcasts, right, on video. Um, but even the Sensibly Speaking podcast, I totally changed up the format, you know, and I'm going to do it again as I, as I switch over um, to the Speaking of Cults. I'm going to change that probably in the next month or so. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm always tweaking. I'm always trying to like, you know, fiddle fiddle with things and make them better and figure out better ways of presenting information to you guys and do it in a more interesting way and, you know, kind of more energetic way because I'm a little slow and rambling sometimes I think and that kind of thing so um anyway so I'm I'm always kind of trying to work on formatting of my of my stuff so there we go with that uh let's see here next question you guys are great you're throwing the questions at me here um Oh my God, what? You went into a X sign. I'm not sure what the question is here, but you're saying we would go into TR8. We would go into a parking lot, car, windows up. I wonder what the neighbors or passerbys thought. When I told the twin it didn't matter how loud I was, that was my cognition. Your favorite? I'm I'm not sure which favorite you're referring to there, X sign, and asking me this question. Um you're, of course, talking about the upper indoc TRs and screaming at an ashtray, and you guys apparently went out and did it in the parking lot in a car, which I'm having a very hard time seeing how that would work, but I guess you could do it in the back seat or something. That's interesting. Um, wow. And so 
yeah, that was your cognition. Okay, I, I don't know. Can you rephrase that? Can you restate that as a, as a more, as a question? I'm not quite tracking with what you're trying to ask me there. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I can definitely comment on this, X-Lion. Paula White has lately been praising and partnering with billionaire Mooney's cult leader, Hak Jahan Moon, widow of Reverend Sun Myung Moon. Can you comment about that? Jesus, Paula White, man, talk about. Ugh. I do not have kind words about that woman in any sense. There are people who I think are so, I mean, I, you know, you don't know these people as individuals, and so they just become caricatures, right, of themselves. So I'm sure that there's a human being somewhere under Paula White's, you know, human skin somewhere i'm sure there's a there's a person there but i'd never seen it i've never seen the person i've only seen this this charlatan right this complete fake woman who pretends to speak with or for god and be this holy person and just kind of join up with power figures or people right it's just influence peddling it's it's you know it's it's con artistry right it's using religion as a as a blatant cash and influence grab that's who paula white is if i'm thinking of the right person and um you know her hooking up with with moon's uh widow i mean a match made in hell i mean you know like like this this is just pure scummery this is this is awfulness this is this is people who are colluding to do evil in the world that's what i think about that i um i don't have any idea what the hell they're even doing right but i know that no good's going to come out of that these are bad people um you know i used to not think about people in terms of black white good bad but there are lines you can draw, right? There are there are ways you can think about this where it's not necessarily going into cultic thinking. I'm not I'm not trying to be a, like a cultic simplistic thinker here. But there are people who's who the balance of their lives is spent manipulating and hurting people, injuring people, taking advantage of people, right? Getting one over on other people so that they can be aggrandized. That's not good there's no definition of good that there's no interpretation of good that that works for they're just bad they're just bad people and that's who i think of. that's how i think about those folks um i'm sure i could do a deep dive and go into all the details of why and how they're bad people but we already know right they con people they lie to people they they are fraudsters um they make money off the uh, gullibility and good hopes and dreams of of good people and i think that there is almost nothing worse you know than the kind of people who do that okay now on the other hand x Lion also asks uh ever watch the movie the life of brian and the movie dogma funny yes yen yes uh, I love Monty Python. I absolutely love Monty Python. That is 100% my kind of humor. Um, life of Brian was um, not their funniest movie. I thought that uh, Meaning of Life and I thought certainly Holy Grail were, were very much funnier. Um, but it was good. It was good stuff. You know, it was obviously doing what it was trying to do um, in parodying the whole Life of Jesus thing and stuff. And I thought they did a great job. I mean, really did. I thought they did a good send-up in a lot of ways of showing the ridiculousness 
of cultic thinking and how people will argue. I didn't have an argument in that. Wasn't that the one about the sandals or, you know, whether you would or wouldn't wear something or something like that? Like the most ridiculous things to hate each other over, people will do it. Right, they'll faction, they'll group off and tribalize over the over the stupidest stuff, and them and the movie kind of showed that. Dogma really took the Catholic Church to town, man. That that one really went deep, and I thought it was great. I mean, the basic illogic of it all, and the sort of silliness of it, and the 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 the, the Jesus thing. George Carlin's role in that was awesome. So I, um, yeah, I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty good. Um, okay, Justin Hobbs asks here, um, let me see if I can pull this one up. There it is. Forgive me. Up oh, there it is again. Forgive me if this is a stupid question, but is this an ask me anything live stream? Yes. My theoretical Q and A's are ask me anything. You can fire away. I might not answer you if it's a dumb question, but <laughs> if it's something I want to take up, I will definitely, uh, answer you. Yeah, absolutely. Ask me anything you want. Okay. Let's see what else we got here. Um, Oh, Anthony, here's a great question. Would Scientology simply not exist if it had started when the internet was around? Yeah. There's no way that Scientology could handle, not the way it was done. Let's be clear, not the way it was done. There are tons of internet cults right now. There's a bunch of people, uh, Leon Shanti, Teal Swan, right? These types of people who are using the internet effectively to control people, to sell product, to lay out a, a, a path toward spiritual enlightenment or ability or therapy or you know, pseudo-therapy sort of practices. Um, there's a bunch of that going on right now. And, and L. Ron Hubbard, had he been a creature of now rather than you know the early 1900s and, and come up during World War II and, and come up in the 1950s, had he had that man existed now he could absolutely use the internet to his advantage and he would in order to sell his schemes and plans and he would have figured that out hubbard was a very cunning and very crafty guy he he was not a stupid man he was an incredibly egotistical he was megalomaniac he was a pathological liar but he wasn't stupid and he was very clever about how he would manipulate people. And he was at the level of, excuse me, he was a master manipulator, if you will, right? I mean, in other words, he's a guy who was really fully professional at it. He was a trained hypnotist. He um, was, a, was a, a decent writer when it came to the nonfiction stuff. I will rag on that guy's fiction all day long. Worst possible crap ever. But his fiction writing, he could put words together that would inspire, that would motivate, that would improve, that would, you know, pump up your morale, that would um, really get you going. And, I, and I'll give that to him because I, it's kind of obvious to me. I don't feel like I even have to give it to him. I mean, look, people follow him. He has a way with words. So could he do that now? Yes. He definitely could, but he couldn't do it the same way. He would not be able to tell the same lies that are so easily discredited, right? You'd have to have a whole different fiction that he could create and create a paper trail or not have any backstory and just present it a whole different way so that you don't have to fact check his biography and, and find out what a, you know, what a dickhead he is, right? So, um, 
so I think the answer to the question is that um, that it could exist in a different way or in a different form. But could it exist as it is now with the Internet? No, clearly it can't because the Internet is Scientology's Vietnam. It's completely taking it out and, um, and hastening its demise. So good question, Anthony. Now, Leslie asks me, uh, Chris, what do you think you would be doing now if you'd never been in Scientology? I'll tell you what I think I'd be doing, what I was on the road trying to do with my life and what I was really very serious about doing was becoming a fiction story writer. I wanted to be a novelist. I wanted to write novels. I was I had written short stories as a kid. I had written and outlined stories for for novel length uh, stories. I was very much into telling fantasy stories. I was an avid D&D player and really into the whole fantasy milieu sort of thing, Dungeons and Dragons and all that. Um, And that was where I was going. I was also into horror, a dark fantasy, if you will. I I liked horror a lot. I liked reading um, Stephen King, Dean Koontz, um, Robert McCammon. These were central writers to me growing up. Um, in terms of consuming all of their work and wanting to follow in their footsteps. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people want to follow in Stephen King's footsteps, but I was actually really serious about it. I wasn't play acting at it. I was writing, and I was going to go to school, and I was going to do that. And I had very, very big goals uh, in that direction, and I thought I had the skill set to do it. I was told, I, you know, I, my writing is what got me into the honors program in my high school um my uh my test scores didn't but my writing actual samples of my writing did and i was going to pursue that through college and had scientology not recruited me i would have finished community college and gone on and made some money and gone on to a real university now of course if my parents hadn't been involved in scientology maybe they even would have helped pay for my college because they they grew up, uh, they came up in Scientology where I was definitely not getting a college fund. And that's no hit on my parents. I'm just saying that was the situation. So I had to pay for my own college, and that's why I was doing community college when I got recruited to join staff. So that's what I think I would have been doing, or at least that was the path I was set to go on. You know, of course, anything could have come along to derail that or change that. But that was 100% what my interests were in and where they lie. The other thing that maybe would have been of interest to me or that I would have pursued would have been something in screenwriting or filmmaking because I was really, 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 really big on being involved in filmmaking when I was a kid. I studied film. I studied film directors. I studied special effects and, and effects design. You know, I could easily see myself as being somebody who could have followed in Adam Savage's footsteps as a model builder at ILM wanting to pursue that kind of thing. I could easily have gone in that direction as well. I wasn't a big avid model maker, but I was really into special effects. And maybe I would have gone digital or something with the computer age. Stuff like that. Obviously, you can see I've given this a little bit of thought. This is kind of the the sort of stuff I would have um, been pursuing, though, had I not been recruited for staff and... (laughs) 
damn it, you know, had my life go in a very different direction. Um, okay, Ron, this is an interesting question. Ron Mowgli asks, what is the best way to get your people willing to listen to important information about Scientology as a high control group slash cult? My family say they aren't Scientology anymore, but still think in Scientologies. Okay. Okay, um, I'm not totally sure, Ron, about everything you're asking me there, but I think you're asking me about how to get cult information to your family members who are ex-members now. Like, how do you get them to get the whole picture? If that's what you're asking, and that's what I understand from your question, um, I would do two approaches. I would, one, encourage them very, very heavily to stop thinking with the language and stop using it openly or, or in their conversation. I would tell them that the reason for that is because Scientology has harmful concepts mixed up in it and thinking with the language keeps those concepts in place. Maybe they'll go for that. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll take your word for it. Maybe they won't. Another approach or another thing to do as well is to show them or uh, express interest in documentaries or shows about other cults than Scientology. Yes, after you know, um, uh, Going Clear and Scientology in the Aftermath are great things to show people who are getting out of Scientology. And if you can get them to watch those documentaries, please do. But if they're resistive to it or they don't want to hear critical stuff about Scientology or they somehow are not in an interested headspace about that, I'm fine, I'm over it, it's all done. Okay. Show them how to become a cult leader. Show them how, you know, show them uh, Wild Wild West. Show them happy, shiny people. Show them um, the thing about the, the, the university guy. Show them. There's a ton of documentaries and shows about cults out there. And the more you show them, the more you're teaching them about their own experience without them realizing that's what you're doing necessarily. And these are very, very interesting and intriguing shows all on their own. But they serve that purpose for ex-cult members of clarifying their own experiences. And they will connect dots themselves. You don't have to do all that dot connecting for them. Let them do it. Um, by, by doing that kind of work, right? And you don't have to make a big deal about it. I, I got, you have to watch this show. Oh my God, it's going to change how you think about Scientology. Don't, don't be that blatant and obvious about it, right? Be a little bit more subtle. Hey, I saw this show. I think you might want to check it out, you know, kind of thing. That sort of approach, right, might be uh, useful. This is general advice. I'm, I, I'm, I'm really lacking a lot of context on your question here, Ron. But this is where my mind goes in, in, in responding to this to start with. So see if um, see how those work. What you want to do, here's the goal here, right? If they're already out, they're already out, right? You don't have to harass them or, or give them a bunch of shit about it. Eventually, they'll figure stuff out. Hopefully, <laughs> right? But. You can speed the process along if you have their cooperation in getting some education about what happened to them. And that's and and you can do that overtly. You don't have to try to be you don't have to try to manipulate them or con them into getting educated. I'm just saying, you know, if you're overly enthusiastic about it and like you need this, you got to see this. People are going to resist that, right? They don't like that. They don't like being told what to do. Um 
But if they're but if they're already in a headspace where they're willing to entertain or look at anti Scientology stuff, right, or anti cult stuff, or they're even really willing to use that word, then you know it's really not that hard to go. Well, maybe some education about it might be good, you know, or maybe figuring it out might be good. Or oh, I found out this very interesting thing about how TRs are a kind of hypnosis. Did you ever think about it that way? Isn't that interesting, right? You know, that kind of thing might be a way of, of, of approaching them without having to lay it on so thick, right? Um, might be a way to go. I hope that's useful advice. I really do. Um, you can let me know in the comments here. Um, Justin Hobbs, have you ever seen the documentary Holy Hell? I have seen so many goddamn documentaries. I am not sure. Let me look this up. Holy hell. Oh, yeah, Budafield. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see Budafield. Yeah. I did see Holy Hell. Yes. What a, um, what a show. And then, of course, the, um, he was also, Budafield was also featured on the How to Become a Cult Leader uh, series as well. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Hey, here we go. Kim Kelly. Do you have any advice for reincorporating spirituality back into your life in a healthy way after leaving a high-control religious group? Yes, I do. Um, first off, my first recommendation would be um, as much as possible, of course, to shoo or rid yourself of any of the belief set or manipulations or you know, st- uh, lingering uh, thoughts, feelings, whatever you can from your cultic experience, right? Just kind of like cancel all that. However you're going to think about this subject coming into the future, do it in a different way than how that group was presenting it. Um, otherwise, you might end up um, reinforcing some of those old cult action patterns or habits or ideas inadvertently, right? So really kind of want to shed yourself of that coil, right, of that skin, right, that old identity. As much as you can, try to do that. And then define for yourself through study, research, reading, talking, discussion, experience, define for yourself What makes sense to you as to what spirituality even is? What do you mean by that term? Because if you don't do that, other people are going to do it for you. And that word, like the word religion or even the word cult, is a mixed bag of ideas. It's It's a potpourri. It's a melting pot of tons and tons of ideas from thousands of people over literally thousands of years. There is no agreed-upon definition for spirituality or what a spirit is. Is it energy? Is it an energy field? Is it material in any way? Does it exist outside of the physical universe, so to speak, like we talk about with Thetans in Scientology? What does spirituality mean to you? How do you feel it? How, does you, how do you experience it in your life? What feels spiritual to you? What would be a spiritual experience to you? After you sort of define that and looked at that, I would then ask, I would, I would say to you, to challenge that idea. To then go, okay, this is my concept of spirituality. It's X, Y, Z. 
how can I poke holes in that idea all on my own? How can I like, hmm, what can I do with that, right? And sort of solidify it for yourself so that it's something that you can believe in or you can think about and have a solid concept or understanding of it. And the reason that I'm saying all of this and emphasizing it is because I want you to be clear about it so that when someone else, and there are thousands of people out there, who will come along and tell you about your spirituality, tell you what to think about your spirituality, tell you how to interpret your spirituality, and tell you why you're good or bad or well-off or bad-off because of your spirituality. So if you're not clear on the concept yourself, you're going to fall for this bullshit, okay? And I want I want you to avoid that, right? So the way to do that is to be crystal clear in your own mind, within your own self, about what you think about these ideas. Don't let them be loosey-goosey ideas. Really think about it. Really challenge yourself on it. Really solidify it. For me, when I did this, and I'm not telling you you have to do this, but for me, when I did exactly what I'm telling you right now, I abandoned the concept. Because I realized that there was no way for me, with my values and my way of viewing the world, there was no way for me to solidify the idea and crystallize it into a clear concept because it's too ethereal. It's too airy-fairy for me as a concept, spirituality. What the hell does that even, what does that mean? What is a spirit? Can I contain it? Can I put it, is there a spirit in my Coke bottle right now? How would I know? You know, like what is this thing? This is important to get so that other people aren't fooling you or manipulating you with their bullshit about spirituality. So I abandon the concept as a concept, but I'm not saying you have to, but I am saying since you asked me, here's how to reincorporate it is think about it, really look at it, really examine it, and give yourself all the time in the world you need to do that. There is no hurry. You got the rest of your life to figure this stuff out. You don't have to have answers today or tomorrow or the next day. That's the great thing about this stuff is you can just take the time with your own free will and your own imagination and your own knowledge set and belief set. You can figure it out for yourself. And there's no hurry. So that's my best advice on that particular point, right? I hope that's useful or helpful for you. Um, It's an effort on my part to arm you or armor you so that you don't fall for another cult leader or manipulation tactic being used against you in that way. Okay? Um, I hope that helps. All right. Let's carry on here. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Oh, we got a lot of questions here. Let me see if I can speed up a little bit here uh, because we are coming uh, up to Jesus. Isn't it amazing how fast these hours go by? Man, they just blow me away. We'll we'll probably go a little bit more than an hour today. Um, Liz D., tell us more about this screaming at an ashtray. Okay, very quickly, TR8, training routine 8, I believe. Um, Because what is it? Six, seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. So eight is upper indoctrination, or there. These are called upper indoctrination training routines, and they are about drilling you or training you in how to exert control over another person's body, another and and controlling objects and things. Okay, you're learning how to control 
yourself, other people, and objects. And that's the point of these four drills. And the, and the idea is you are exerting what is called 8C. This is a, an expression in Scientology for infinite control. 8 is the infinity symbol on its side. And Hubbard would use this constantly uh, for the infinity symbol turned up on its side. He used the, the number 8. And then C stands for control, right? 8C, infinite control. And the idea is it, is it is training you into how to exert control without having any reservation, any holdback, any, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. You get that drilled out of you. You do this drill. You do these four drills, actually, for hours and hours until you are an expert at them. And the idea is you are controlling another person's body. And then, you're, and then the screaming at the ashtray drill is a drill to learn intention. There's a spiritual quality in Scientology referred to as intent or intention, which is your will. And this is heart and soul of Scientology. Remember the occult origins of Scientology. True will, right? This goes all the way back to Crowley and, uh, and manifesting your intent in the world. This is what Hubbard believed magic would do for him and why we talk about Scientology as a magical ritual. This, is, this control thing is heart and soul to this. You have got to learn how to exert your will over another person without any reservation whatsoever and get them to do whatever it is you want them to do. The idea, of course, in Scientology being that by applying Scientology to them, you are helping them. Yeah, sure. So these drills of screaming at an ashtray is, a, is one part of a drill where an ashtray is placed in front of a person. They sit down in front of this ashtray and they command the ashtray. And then they make it do the commands with their hands, Right? Uh, but the ultimate expression of control and intent, you could just levitate that ashtray. Right? That's the Scientology sort of belief there. But nobody's, nobody's really levitating ashtrays. They move it with their hands, right? And the commands you give to the ashtray during this drill are stand up, thank you, sit down in that chair, thank you. Those two commands, stand up, sit down in that chair, and you acknowledge it. Um. So, you do this drill in different tones of voice, at different volumes, and eventually you're screaming at the ashtray. Stand up! Thank you! Sit down in that chair! Thank you! Right? You're screaming this at this ashtray. The point of the exercise is to teach you, and this is all bullshit, okay? I, 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 hope, I hope we're all clear on the fact that this is all total horseshit, okay? I, I, sometimes I communicate about this stuff or I describe this stuff in, in such a way that people go, oh, that sounds interesting. No, it's not. It's not, okay? <laughs> but the point of the drill is for, or one of the points of the drill, is for you to learn to differentiate your spiritual intention from your vocal cords. 
It's not the screaming that gets the job done. It's your intention that gets the job done. And if you had enough intention drummed up in you that you could deliver to somebody, you could whisper it. And they would do immediately what you wanted them to do. It's akin to using the force on someone. That would be a parallel thinking or a parallel example of what the ultimate expression of this in Scientology would look like. You don't need those droids, right? These are not the droids you're looking for, right? This is intention, getting across to another person's mind in such a way that they do what you tell them to do. They think what you want them to think. That is what intention in Scientology is all about. That's why I say it's key. This is, this is absolutely heart and soul stuff of Scientology, is this control factor. And teaching people how to do this was one of Hubbard's things to get them to be in charge of or causative in their life, is you have to have intention and you have to be able to manifest your intention and execute your intention without any reservation. Don't hold back. Never hold yourself back, right? Always full-blown. And the ultimate expression of intention in Scientology is called tone 40. Top of, the, top of the tone scale, top of the chart, right? Every, uh, you know, the top of every metric you care to measure is tone 40, where you, are, you simply think a thing and it happens. You, you want to manifest a planet, Boom, a planet exists, right? It's like that. That's supposed to be the ultimate expression of that. And these drills yelling at the ashtray and all these other drills connected with it are all designed to tune your ability to do that. That's what that's about. Yeah, I know. I know. But that's what it's about. So um, there you go. Um, yeah, <laughs> there it is, Joe. That's it. People for Judea or Judean people's front. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yes, Joe, actually, I can tell you about um, my consultations. Thank you for asking about that. Um, let me see, make sure this is going up on the screen here. Uh, I think it is. Oh, did I make it go away again? I have a little bit of a lag when I see him come up on the screen there. Let's see if I can, um, there we go. Okay, yes, I do consultations, guys. If you need help with coercive control or with some situation in your life or you are, um, you know, surviving a coercive situation, whether it's domestic partnership, cult situation, or you have family or friends who are somehow in need of assistance with this, you can reach out to me. You can contact me. I will help you with this. I do charge for my time, but I don't charge a lot. And so far, I've had... 100% happy customers, as far as I know. Um, So you can reach out to me through my website, mncriticalthinking.com. There is a contact form there. Uh, Or you can write to me at askchrisshelton at gmail.com, and we can get in touch. I have a couple of forms that I send out. There's a legal agreement and stuff, right, to protect you, protect me, all that kind of stuff. Um, But but I do that work, and I am happy to help you uh, if you want to reach out to me on that matter. Thank you, Joe, for reminding me to talk about that. Um, Let's see here. Um, 
Xion asks, what was your favorite TR, upper end docker otherwise? I would say my favorite was bull bait, if I'm being honest, because I loved being a cut up. I loved making other people laugh. And bull bait is great for practicing your stand-up routines, right? We all have our little jokes and our little stand-up routines that we have. And uh, bull bait is great for, for pushing people's buttons and making them laugh and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. That was always my favorite one. Um, I generally did not like doing TRs. I thought they were, um, I, you know, I, can I say I didn't like doing them? I Yeah, I didn't like them. I mean, especially the zeros, which I spent way more time on than any other TR. So, yeah, uh, let's see here. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, Chaotic Kitten says here, are you familiar with 12-step programs like Alcoholics Anonymous? I see similarities between them and Scientology, especially with steps four and five compared to auditing. Okay, um, I actually did years and years ago, I actually did a whole podcast about whether Al- Alcoholics Anonymous as a 12-step program is a destructive cult or not. And my answer to the question, and I know a lot of people disagree with me on this, but my answer is no, it's not. However, that doesn't mean there aren't parallels. And it also doesn't mean that individual groups or chapters cannot get very, very culty. It depends very much on who's running the show and on terms of your sponsor sponsoree relationship. That can become a, a codependent relationship if you all aren't careful, which is why 12 step programs and Alcoholics Anonymous specifically can run into trouble so often because they are untrained individuals. These are people who don't have formal training in how to prevent the pitfalls of what happens in groups like that when you're trying to engage in pseudotherapeutic or, you know, uh, addictive therapy kind of practices. So it has a lot of, of risks involved, but it can also be very, very helpful too. And for no charge and group support and stuff like that, there's honest help available there. I'm not going to trash Alcoholics Anonymous and say it never helped anybody or anything like that because I know it has. But yes, it can absolutely get culty. And, uh, and it's very, very unfortunate to me when that happens. Uh, people get too full of themselves or they get stuck up in this codependent relationship or the social dynamics of the group get weird. That can really mess things up. So you got to gotta go into these groups with your eyes open. And unfortunately, people who do go into these groups are at rock bottom. And so, you know, they will give over their power and they will, you know, surrender to the higher authority and all that. And, and, and that's fine. I get the point of each of these steps. I'm not saying that they're destructive. I'm really not. I'm saying that it can um, be, have caution, be wary, be careful right? Uh, You know, have your eyes open. And that's, you know, that's generally good advice, no matter what you're doing anyway. So, um, so that's what I can say about that. I can't speak uh, intelligently about steps four and five, specifically chaotic kitten, because I remember step one as the surrender step, but I don't remember all 12 steps of 12 step programs off the top of my head. I'm, I'm unfortunately not that familiar with it. And like I said, it was years ago that I did a podcast with a guy named John Stewart, not the John Stewart, a different John Stewart, um, about this exact topic. And we talked for like an hour or two about it. So you can look that up on my Sensibly Speaking podcast if you're curious what else I had to say about it in, um, back then. Okay, let's see what else we've got here. 
Follow-up, OBG Foster. As a would-be fiction writer, how did you not see that LRH's writings were all fiction? He was a fiction writer. Because I grew up in Scientology. I mean, come on. How do you, what do you mean, how did I not see it? Because I was primed my entire life to see L. Ron Hubbard as a genius philosopher who also happened to write fiction. I, you know, it, it annoys me when I hear this particular line of reasoning as though writers can't also do other things professionally. And I, and I, I don't mean to be like snarky, but I'm just like, come on. I, we thought L. Ron Hubbard was this genius philosopher guy. And we didn't look at L. Ron Hubbard's nonfiction writings in Scientology and go, ah, he's so full of it. He's just making all this up. Ha, ha, ha. That's not the mindset. It's not how we approach the material. We thought we were reading facts. And we thought we were in a euphoric state of mind about those facts. We were excited about it. We were, we were what's the other word? Um, we were giddy with the knowledge that the matrix was real, that science fiction had a basis in reality, that, that we had power, that we could reestablish ourselves as powerful spiritual beings who could overcome the problems of life. These are good things to want, even if they are delusory. The intention was good, right? And it's this little snarky, how do you not see he was a fiction writer? It's like, come on, man. What are you trying to do with comments like that? You're so stupid. You know, that's how it comes across. And it's really annoying. So, anyway, sorry if I'm reacting a little bit, but I just don't appreciate that. Um, okay, moving right along. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, who do you think was the most incompetent and stupid cult leader, Keith Rainier, as an example? Keith Rainier? Um, I think it's Keith Rainier, not Rainier. For some reason, I keep saying Keith Rainier. I've got that stuck in my mind with him. Um, who do you think was the most incompetent and stupid cult leader? Not Keith. Keith was actually pretty crafty. And he, and he learned from his mistakes, and he learned from other cult leaders. Um, unfortunately, he didn't learn enough to overcome his own egotism and megalomania, which is a common mistake with these guys. It's not their intelligence that's the problem. It's their moral foundations and their psychosis that's the problem. Um, okay, so let's see. God, most incompetent and stupid. I mean, incompetent, stupid people don't tend to make it as cult leaders. I, you know, oh gosh, I was going to say Ashoka, Ahsoka, um, not Ahsoka, what am I saying? The uh, Asahara, the, um, the uh, sarin gas guy, but he was actually pretty smart too. It's a hard question, Anthony. I'm going to have to think about this one, actually. I don't have a snap answer for that one. It sounds like a real easy answer. I, oh yeah, this guy. Not so much. I actually have to think about that one. All right, let's move along here. Um, One, two, three, get in kind, signed fry. I don't know how to pronounce that name. But looking at psychiatry and industry of death, I was struck by how similar the global conspiracy of psychiatrists is 
to the global Jewish conspiracy proposed by the Nazis was Hubbard, quote-unquote, inspired. Um, wow, you posted this three times. Okay. Um, I can't say that Hubbard was in directly inspired by Nazi think. Hubbard fought the Nazis. Hubbard didn't like the Nazis. Hubbard didn't think the Nazis were a good bunch of guys. He never, ever indicated anything to say that the Nazis were, had it right. So I don't think Hubbard was actually inspired by the Nazis. The thing about global conspiracy theories is there has to be a path. There has to be a scapegoat. There has to be a, a, a group or individuals who are running the show, who are conspiring to control everybody else. That's the, unif- you know, that's the, that's the model, right? And whether it's the Jewish people or whether it's some global cons- consortium of bankers and financiers and media conglomerates, which was Hubbard's approach to it, actually. See, psychiatry and the, and the global conspiracy of sci- that Scientology forwards Psychiatry is not the total sum of the bad guys. Psychiatry is the execution arm of the bad guys. The bad guys are 12 men, Hubbard named, who run international finance, media, and government. And the psychiatrists are their enforcement arm if you go if you, if they want to do away with you if you're some thorn in their side they'll send the psychs after you they'll have you declared incompetent or insane and they'll throw you into an insane asylum and lock you up and nobody ever hears from you again that's not as easy to do now as it used to be and this is why hubbard would 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 take this as his um bad guys and he made out the psychiatrists to be really, really bad guys. But they were not the ones in charge. And, and, and it would depend a little bit on when and where Hubbard was talking about this, too. Because sometimes he would heavily emphasize psychiatry as the main big bad guys. And other times, it was these 12 men, or it was these power players, or it was the Rockefellers, or it was the Rothschilds, or something like that. But he never... In all the time, in all the conspiracy things that I ever read in Scientology, and I think I read all of them. I I never read the Farsec reference, but I think I read everything Hubbard had to say about psychiatry and psychology and the 12 men and all of that. And in everything I read and saw, Hubbard never once inferred or implied that it was a Jewish conspiracy. He never, ever went there. At least not that I can remember or have any recall of. So, anti-Semitic, when compared to other conspiracy theories that are anti-Semitic, Scientology does compare to them. But I don't, I really don't think that was Hubbard's approach. As, as, you know, as crazy or odd as that might sound, it's, um, that's that's what I can say about that, right? Um, Hubbard had absolute, there's no question about it, Hubbard was a racist. And Hubbard had racist things to say about black South Africans and blacks in other places. He definitely had things to say about that. He also had things to say about Chinese, about Indians, 
uh, as in people from the India subcontinent, right? He had things to say about that class of people, and they were racist. So I will label Hubbard as a racist, absolutely. But I have a hard time seeing how Hubbard could be called anti-Semitic. I, I, I'm stretching right now. If somebody could show me some quotes or some issues or something that where he, where he does that, I, you know, then I would obviously be willing to change my mind. But as I sit here right now, I, I don't see it. So that's what I can say about that, uh, at least in a short answer here. Okay, follow-up from Chaotic Kitten. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. I am going to say that that is not the damaging part of auditing. Thank you, Chaotic Kitten, for uh, clarifying that. The reason why Scientology confessions and auditing and enforced, you know, gangbang sex checks and all of that, the reason why those things are destructive to a person is not because they're confessing to crimes it's be, or getting things off their chest of wrongdoing. That, there's nothing wrong with that. Confession as, in and of itself is cathartic. Let's make no mistake about that. Getting stuff off your chest, being able to safely, confidentially or not, that's not the key factor, right? It's getting stuff off your chest, unburdening yourself of your sins or moral transgressions or, you know, how you have screwed up is cathartic. It's helpful. It helps us unload guilt the same way we can unload trauma, right? That's a good thing. And in an Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program, that's a necessary thing. Because if you go through that program and you have never recognized that you did anything wrong, you know, you're not going to really be a product of that program, are you? So you've got to have a step where you confess to or realize or admit to the fact you've been a bad boy. You did bad things. Maybe you stole. Maybe you this. Maybe you that. And you confess to it. There's nothing wrong with that. The reason Scientology auditing and security checking is so harmful is because it forces you to do that. It forces you to make up answers if you don't have any, and they won't let you out of the room until you satisfy the conditions of the e-meter and the auditor. It's not for you. It's for them. Your confessions are not there to make you feel better. It's to give them the dope on you so they can blackmail you later or extort you later or whatever. That's a whole different situation. It also happens to involve confession, but it's not the confession part that's the bad part. I hope I'm making that clear as a point, okay? So when you describe these to me of doing a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves in a safe space with friendly people around you who are supporting you and are not trying to extort you or blackmail you for your crimes... It would be a good thing, a cathartic thing for a people to, for somebody to do such a step, provided it wasn't used against them or used to invalidate them or used to make them feel worse about themselves after the fact, which is what Scientology does with that information. Um, as far as admitting to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, that's confession. You know, it's again as an as an activity. It's not a bad thing to do. I, I you know, I, I don't know. I hope that I hope that makes sense. 
Uh, let's carry on here and let's see if uh, more comes our way. Oh, okay, almost there. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's see here. Um, Rhaenyra. Oh, okay. Oh, Rhaenyra. All right, so I am getting that right. I've been corrected on that. I think that's why I'm always hesitant on Keith's name. Um, let me look up this person here, OBG Foster. Hold on. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. OBG Foster says uh, says Jody Hildebrandt uh, was probably qualified as stupid and incompetent. She got caught. Yeah, yeah, I don't think she was the smartest cookie. That's for sure. Uh, that's for sure. I will agree with you on that one for 100%. Okay, I think it's time for us to wrap up. Um, yeah, it's been an hour 18. I think we've done a pretty good show here. Hey, guys, thank you very much for coming around and listening to me gabber on at a mad rate about all this. I think I've uh, addressed all of the questions. Um, okay, yeah, let's wrap up. Thank you very much for coming around. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for supporting my channel. Um, do check out my ideal studio list uh, in the description section below. Um, you know, sign up on Patreon, send me some love through PayPal, whatever. You guys are the ones helping make this thing go, and I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, and uh, bye-bye.